or shrimp or scallops or oysters. That's an or of sequence. You didn't know this in your mind. When you were listening to somebody say that because you were listening to your heart language, you weren't thinking, is that an or of sequence or is it something else? You just understand because of the context. He's giving me a list of stuff he does like. Are you with me? But now, that or can also be an or of apposition. Let me take you back to English class. Do you know what an appositive is? Do you remember that word, an appositive? An appositive is this. An appositive uses the or to rename what the first element on the other side of the or describes. For example, if I said, my friend, or Cliff Myers, told me the other day, you see, I, you know you're not using that as an or of contrast, which is another syntactical use. Contrast would be either my friend or Cliff Myers. You know that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. I said, I, I'm using it as an acquisition. Or if I said, my dentist, Dr. John Wilson, you see what I'm doing? The second part of that, or Dr. John Wilson, my dentist, or better known as Dr. John, you see where that second one is further defining the first side of that. Do you get it? Do you see it? I mean, talk to me. Yes. So I don't want to belabor this. I don't want to beat it if you got it. Is it what now? Well, it's, it's, it's descriptive, yes. It's descriptive. Further given a description of the one that you, just, that you, you mentioned. For example, if I said, if I said, my roofing contractor, or Jamie Baker, see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, that's when you talk to somebody and you realize that, well, they know Jamie, so you can use his name. My roofing contractor, or Jamie. Uh, that's an acquisition. Now, the first, in verse 9, we have an or of sequence, do we not? Pretty obvious. Or, or, or. By the way, watch me on here. Let me, let me, let me, let me put what's going on with that. Paul is not giving an absolute prohibition. So, Sandra, you're not in sin because you have gold on. Myron, you're not in sin because you have a ring on. Or, you're not... In sin, Karen, because your outfit costs more than Jerry's. <laughs> You're not. What Paul is doing here is saying, I don't want the chief characteristic of women to be defined by what they wear on the outer man. But their chief characteristic must be godliness. So he's not saying you can't do all of this. You gotta be drab and you gotta be blab and, and all that stuff and blah. No, he's not saying that. He's just saying you must elevate godliness even above your physical appearance. You don't want to be godly on the outside. You want to be godly on the inside. That's what he's saying. 
think it's their ministry. Sir? They think it's their ministry. They think it's their God-given ministry yeah. authority to correct every single person. Hey, I don't have any authority at all over anybody who's not in my flock. That's where my pastoral authority stops. And I don't want it over anybody else. My gosh. Like herding cats. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's where sometimes a pastor has to have authority. For example, I have to say sometimes, the position of Grace Church is that we will allow women sometimes to teach in a niche group where there are men and women. Why? Because it is plainly no violation of Scripture once you understand the syntax and once you understand the culture and once you understand all those things. No violation of Scripture. The last thing I want to do is sin against God by doing something that's in violation of His authority, which is the Word. Complete freedom of conscience and knowing that that is not a sin. So there are times we're going to do that. Why? Because we've got some ladies who, who are preparing to do what Lottie Moon did. And how hypocritical is it for us to take their tuition money and back to Tommy Florida, train them how to do this until they come to church and say, show up on it? No. We are a sending church. We are a equipping church. We're a mobilizing church. So if she wants to do that, we are going to embrace her. We're going to pray for her. We're going to support her. And watch this. We're going to give her an opportunity to sharpen her skills here before she gets there. So there's going to be a time when some of those ladies who are on that trajectory, and we've always said that we want to use our Bible study hour as a training ground. So there's going to be times when they're going to be, and I'll tell you what, you're going to have your socks blown off by how some ladies can get to the heart of this authoritative word. So, Pastor Richie at this point has no quims with a woman teaching. He does have a problem with a woman, a woman pastor simply because of the authority issue. Now, let's walk on through this text. Paul says, and here's what he does. Watch this. He brings in a universal element, a timeless element in his appeal to Adam. So what is he doing? Again, it's the authority issue. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So all of a sudden, Paul understands this. He understands it. So he lifts it from the temporal and cultural and puts it on the universal, timeless stage when he appeals to Adam. Because he's going all the way back to a time. He's going back to a pre-sin era to bolster his argument or his position. That this happened before sin entered the world. There was no corruption. This was God's standard. This was God's ideal for Adam to be the spiritual leader. So he bases it on chronology. Adam was created first, just as birth order is chronology. The firstborn gets a double portion of the blessing. Chronology meant a lot. So Paul says this, follow with me. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, this is all about authority, not teaching. It's about authority. And here's what Paul is saying. He is, Paul is not 
Kiss your ass and Do you see that? That's crazy in hermeneutics. 
She's preserved. She's kept from a sinful tendency. If she fulfills her God-given role. You know, what we really need today in the United States of America is a good understanding of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Where do you find your God-given identity and role and task? This is far from, let's keep them barefoot and pregnant, to let them fulfill the glorious role that God had for them. Here's what I have for women. Women that want to be a pastor, that's far beneath the dignity of a woman. It's far beneath your dignity. It's demeaning to you as a creation of God to do what I do. You ought not want that. And what Paul was saying here is, man, there's something about the feminine mystique and dignity and honor and glory that enshrouds you in your God-given role of being the child-bearer. Doesn't even have to have children, but that's the kind of God-given role for women. That should be elevated. That should be applauded. If it were not for you, we'd be extinct. <laughs> I would say, if it wasn't for women, where would we be? What would we be? To which somebody said, if it weren't for women, we'd all be homosexual. <laughs> Okay. 